Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. If you haven't heard my voice for a while, I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. I'm actually the guest today, but I well, we started this show and I was a host on it for a while with these other two guys. And so I'm back for a week. This week, we also have Alan Wyma. Hello, hello. And Adi Iyengar. Hello. And yeah, so this week I've been talking to a lot of developers. It's funny because most of them are like junior, maybe lower mid-level developers. And just because I put out there that I was willing to talk to people for a half hour and do some coaching and stuff. And one thing that I'm running across over and over and over again is people are getting on the coaching because effectively they feel like they don't have good prospects to move jobs or they really like the company they work for and they feel like but the company isn't giving them opportunities to grow or advance right so they're not they're not getting raises they're worried that they're not getting paid what they're worth they're not being encouraged to learn new skills they're worried that their skills are then falling behind the company's not really talking to them about their future prospects and so they're not sure if they're just kind of kind of be stagnating where they are for a while and yeah and so uh, you know, as I kind of help them through it and help them figure out what they are looking for, I realized that there are a lot of things people can do. And I, I had kind of come up with a way of building and gaining momentum in your business and maintaining momentum or not in your business, sorry, in your I talk to a completely different audience sometimes. But in your career, I, I put together this program. And uh, as I kind of talk people through it, they really get excited and they really start to see momentum build as they start doing a handful of things. And I probably talked about it on the show before, but I just wanted to jump in because the, the focus has changed a little bit. I was trying to kind of say, hey, everybody should do this. And I still feel that way. But the people that seem to be benefiting from it the most are the people at kind of that lower end of the, the career spectrum who are a little bit feel a little bit stuck. And so anyway, I just thought, hey, well, I'll just jump on Elixir Mix and we'll have a conversation about it. I'm a little curious. Have, have you guys felt that at all in your career at any point? Same mean, like from like the side of a junior engineer, like getting stuck and stuck. Well, like, at, at any point, I felt it as a right. senior too. Right. But yeah, just feeling stuck or not knowing quite where to go next. Yeah. I mean, luckily, I, I haven't experienced it. I was, I think, been very lucky to have opportunities always in life, but I have mentored others who have mm -hmm. experienced that. It is, you're right, it's very hard to navigate that because a few things need to be right for you to get next opportunities, right? Your company needs to have that opportunity available. Right. They need to trust you. And you also need to be proactive about keep reminding them about, you know, that opportunity. And mm -hmm. it, because if you don't get it faster a couple of times, like it's like kind of like demotivating. You know, you don't like right. Yeah, you need that motivation from your regular work instead of side projects to at least explore something initial that you can further continue through side projects. But it, it's very hard. I've been really lucky, so I, I'm gonna not talk about it as much. Uh, Alan, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean to a certain extent, yeah, I've felt a little bit kind of in the same spot for a while, right? So you're always just developing code. I when you're doing startups, right, you're always kind of doing the same work over and over again building mm -hmm. systems that take in data show data etc but then it's like after you do this for a couple of years you're like okay but what next because this is basically the same thing kind of right. the, the, the saying what is it same same toilet different stuff inside you know like i'm doing the same stuff right. every day what's next yeah that's usually when i'm talking to senior developers that run into it that's that's how they describe it right is effectively my opportunities for growth is i could get paid a little bit better to go do the same thing in a different place and you know and it's like and most of the time they don't you know they're not complaining about it it's just they're looking for that next challenge or that next opportunity to learn. And some of them will actually tell me that they wish that they could go back to being a junior developer because they were consistently learning and growing. And so that's the version of it I see with the seniors. But with the juniors, they, they just don't have the connections and the 
the experience to go and say, okay, this is what I need to do to get to the next place, right? And and so they really feel trapped. And so, yeah, you know, we just talk through some of the the options with them and, and see where things go. And so, yeah, I'm curious, both of you kind of said that you haven't deeply experienced this, but I'm curious as to what you think you'd have done or do to put yourself in a position where you haven't felt that because I'm I'm guessing that some of those things are the, some of the things that I recommend to people that they do. Well, I think it's good to have an idea like a roadmap about where you want mm-hmm. to be next, right? So for me, it was always like, okay, I'm always building stuff, but, and I think my technical skills are fine, but now the question is, how can I work on my soft skills, which was always kind of my problem. And I think now the next right. thing is more finely tuned on how can I deal with people who are not developers? How do I explain mm-hmm. stuff to them? How do I generate sales? There's, so there's more other stuff besides development, which is more interesting to me. I mean, I still enjoy coding, right? But at the same time, when you went to the university, you're always thinking to yourself, okay, I'm just going to sit at my desk and just code all day. I don't have to talk to anybody, just me and my computer. But mm-hmm. that's not, yeah, I smiling because it's not the way it is, right? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yeah, they put you on a group people. project and it's, you have three people in your group and it's three group projects. Well, basically, life, you're is gonna like merge. The, no, life is like that group project where you're the only guy doing stuff and the other people are, are not, right? You yeah. Know, that kind of, yeah, <laughs> how do you get shaking yep. his head? Sometimes life is like that. Yeah, so but like, on those know, teams how, too, yeah. Yeah, how can I, you know, rather the team, right? Because those yeah. are, I think, much more valuable skills than just writing code. Yeah, I'm going to seize on what you mentioned first, though, and that is just having a plan. A lot of folks that I talk to, it's like, okay, well, what do you want? Right. And and most of the time I get this blank look, right? Like they don't know. And there are kind of two aspects to this. Uh, one of them I kind of I've gotten better clarification on since talking to my friend Sam yesterday. That's going to come out as a bonus episode, by the way, next week. But the first one is, yeah, you want to be a senior developer. What does that mean? Right. You want to move into being a, an architect or CTO or whatever. Right. What does that mean? Right. Because it's not just, oh, somebody's going to bestow me the title right? And then I've got all my problems solved. I, I've been professionally coding for like a couple of years and they made me a senior dev because I was working for a consultancy and they could bill me for more if I was a senior dev, right? I didn't get paid more. And so it did it tick the box for me? Not really. So is it, do you want to get paid more? Do you want to, do you want to work somewhere that you can get a certain kind of mentorship? Are you looking for more recognition? Are you looking to build your skills? Are you looking right? All of these things kind of matter. And so to one extent, yeah, it's like, what does your job look like? And then to the other extent is, and this is what I talked to my friend Sam about was, what are the factors that are going to fulfill you at that job, right? And so he has six career factors that you can, you can actually go take his assessment for free and it'll tell you what your, what your factors are. But yeah, so those are kind of the ideas, like where do you want to end up, right? And sometimes people are like, oh, well, you know, I just, you know, I want to get paid, (laughs) another $20,000 a year, and I want to be a senior developer. And so the reality is, is that, yeah, you know, you kind of have to know what that is. But I, I push people to look a little bit longer term, right? It's like, look, you know, do you want to be, what level do you want to be in the company you're working at, right? Do you want to stay where you are? Do you want to stay where you are long term? Those kinds of questions, you know, have you considered going freelance? Because sometimes that's the best option for certain people. And so you can start to make a roadmap. And I I encourage people to go out like three years. And yes, I recognize the world will change in three years. And that may not be a valid plan after two, but it'll get you way further down the road toward where you want to end up than sitting there and waiting for stuff to happen to you. And so, so yeah, so having that plan is critical. It's always the seventh one I list because it's always the one that intimidates people. But yeah, that really is a big part of it. And so I just encourage people to sit down and just go, okay, you know, 
what what does my next step look like and where where eventually do I want it to take me, right? Do I want to be showing up on stages? Do I want to be a host on Elixir Mix? Do I want to be working on open source and be recognized for that? Because all of those things will come into play and there are steps you can take now that will get you there. Yeah, totally agreed. I think also along with plans, I think I think you implied it, but I think like like more material accomplishable goals along mm-hmm. the plan as well, like that you can like, yeah. you know, quantify like, oh, I want to, like I said, you want to do X at this time, Y at this time, right? Commit this much code, mentor as many people, learn this about AWS, whatever it may be. Uh-huh. That definitely helps. I'm going to be a little bit of a downer and still say, I feel like, you know, it does come down to luck a lot, man. It's having experience, I think so much luck in my, career I, mm-hmm. I literally everyone i work with everyone my friends who's an engineer is a better engineer than me or would have been a better engineer than me if they right. had the opportunity and it just i think it's a reality of things to like also acknowledge yes mm-hmm. when you make goals you might not have the opportunities that you hope that you would but it's mm-hmm. okay keep trying maybe it'll come <laughs> you might be a little <laughs> less lucky but you know it it, uh, it it will show up and you know it's it's it, you got to be flexible if as things as things change you, you expect it to have some opportunity that right. you do not have be adaptable to you mm-hmm. know when life when life throws you lemon make lemonade kind of adapt adaptable right well and that's where the other things that i tell people about kind of create those opportunities right they put you in a position so that when you get lucky you can grab it right I'm going to say one more thing about the goals really quickly, and that is that I use a planner. It's called the Full Focus Planner. It's put together by Michael Hyatt. He ran a publishing company way back in the day. So what I do is I write down my three-month goals, and then I figure out what I need to be doing every week, and then I break that down into what I'm going to do today and tomorrow and the next day, right? And so then I have a pretty good idea of what I need to get done in order to create the opportunities I want. So for the other opportunities, I mean, most of the opportunities that I found have either come because I knew somebody, right? So I know somebody works at a company, they're a great place to work. I talk to them. They talk to the powers that be, the powers that be decide they want me to work for them too, right? The other opportunities, a lot of them have come from having the podcasts. And early on, I would luck my way into, I probably the first two or three jobs that I had, I lucked my way into, but because I'd been consistently learning, I was able to put my best foot forward, even though I didn't have all the answers to all their questions during the interviews. So that's what the rest of these are all aimed at, right? So the the first thing that I tell people to do is just learn something new every day. And when I say that, I'm not saying go take an Elixir course today and then go take a React course tomorrow, right? That's not realistic. What I'm saying is, is spend an hour listening to Elixir Mix or spend 10 minutes watching a tutorial video or read a section out of a book that's going to tell you how to do something. And then go put it into practice. So go commit code, right? Or if you're reading up on soft skills, right? Practice it today. If you're if you're learning Git, right? Or you're learning something about VS Code, right? Go pick that up and put it into practice, right? So those those are one and two right there because those are going to put you into a position where as, as people come to you and start asking you questions or if you apply to a job, Right. You can say, I I don't know the answer to that question, but this is what I've learned so far. Right. Over the last few days or over the last few weeks or, hey, I make it a point to go learn something new every day. And so these are the next three things that I'm going to learn. Right. So you can ask me again next week if you want. And that really does put you on on a good footing. And then the third one is meeting somebody new every week right? And having a conversation with them. Because if if you can do those things, it puts you in a position where you're consistently upping your skills, and then you're building your network so that you can go and you can grow your career from the people that you now know, 
right? And so you can help them. They can help you. You can find a lot of opportunities that way. So th- those are kind of three of them. Now, when you meet somebody new, what's the criteria for that person to be new? I mean, you could just go to the bus stop and say hello to somebody. You met somebody new, right? Right. So yeah, I'm talking about somebody in the programming space, right? Or, I mean, you could be forgiven if they're non-technical manager at a, or contact at a company that Right. But usually it's somebody that you also have something to offer to them and they have something to offer to you. Right. And so they may have contacts in there or may be able to help you figure some stuff out or whatever. You don't really know what the payoff's going to be and they may not either, but it's a valuable contact that you have that, that can take you somewhere possibly. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of then meeting someone new, uh, not just for the contact, and also growing your circle perspective, mm-hmm. obviously that's the case. But I think it's also kind of like breaking your bubble. You know, mm-hmm. as engineers, we like we work in a team. We might work in a small company where you know you might build something relatively simple that you get a lot of recognition for. You know, and you might develop a lot of you know what's the word like Dunning Kruger. It's like oh, I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm pretty good. You need to. It's important to see things in perspective. Like the more you right. explore, you, it's important to like keep grounded and see. There's like unbelievable things happening out there right right? in terms of engineering and i think it helps you with that you know managing your ego and i think which oftentimes comes in the way of you know what you said like self-awareness and self-reflection and then making that plan if you Mm -hmm. don't have that ego if you're if you are clearly aware about what you're not you're not good at it helps you set that plan better right and and knowing other people outside of your bubble helps you manage that ego and like stay grounded yeah i want to add another thing to that too because it it forces you to build the skills that you have to have in order to work well with other people and, and interact with other people. And so you get both, right? And then the last thing is, is it has to be genuine, right? It can't just be, hey, because networking events, you go and you you don't really build any kind of relationship with people. And, and you really are aiming for that, right? You want to build a relationship where, you know, you can mutually be there for each other and help each other. And yeah, I mean, 90% of the people that I have built relationships with, had conversations with, if I run across them again, it's like, hey, we're friends, right? But that's kind of the extent of our interaction these days, right? But the other 10%, it's, oh, hey, oh, you're running into this? Well, let me help you with it, right? And then, you know, a year or two later, it comes back around and we run into each other and it's, oh, hey, well, you really saved my bacon a year or so ago. Let me help you out with something. And it turns out that they can pull something out for me. And so that wasn't the basis of the relationship, but that's kind of what comes from it. Well, these networking events, usually they have some kind of presentation aspect to them too, right? At least that's what I usually run into. At least it's just like, well, at least the things that I go to is like networking at the beginning, you have presentation and at the end, then you can mm-hmm. have your chit chat, right? For those kind of events yeah. I usually go to, I try to actually do like a five minute spiel because sometimes they'll say, okay, we need more mm-hmm. content. They start asking people and yeah. that's always a good time. Like even if you're, just present something, right? And then you'll find that people come up to you and say, hey, I like that you did and that's a perfect way to also meet people too with similar mm-hmm. interests, right? Because they have something interested in your topic and then that's a good way to kind of get to know more people. Yeah, and you've kind of led in into the fourth thing that I tell people to do, and that's go find a meetup and go to it. So I guess they're technically networking events, but usually the events where it's kind of an explicit, hey, I'm going to say five things about me, and then the other eight people at my table are going to say five things about them. You kind of have to build the relationship outside of that, right? It really is highly transactional, and that's not what we're after. But yeah, go to meetups and present at the meetups. You know, I mean, Alan's spot on, right? But if you're out there and you're presenting, even if you're presenting on something like, hey, I'm new to Elixir, and so I'm going to present on tuples, right? And just just real simple, fundamental stuff, right? It builds those skills. A lot of times I've done presentations on like fundamental stuff. I haven't done it in a while. You know, usually I'm presenting on more advanced stuff these days. <laughs> but if I'm presenting on something fundamental, a lot of times I'll have people come up afterward and say, I've been programming in this for 10 years, and I didn't know that you could do that with strings or whatever. 
right? And so, you you know, and then you get to start that conversation, right? And it's such a terrific place to meet people. And so, yeah, then, yeah, the networking part of it where you're actually chatting with people, those are awesome because you get to go and you actually get to have a full-on conversation with people. And, you know, you meet one or two people at the meetup and that may be the real payoff. Yeah. I mean, maybe, can you talk more about like how you usually do things these days? I mean... It, it must be, you must have gone through a lot of different iterations till you finally got to where you mm-hmm. are now, right? Like, what is your kind of optimal flow, at, 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 even at your kind of senior status? Right. So most people I meet are through the podcast. By the way, that's the other one that I encourage people to do is put out some kind of content every week. And then I encourage people to go to a conference every year, right? And even if it's like an online summit, if that's all you can do, do that. But find the opportunities in that summit to go and connect with people virtually. Right. Because that's the real value in the the conferences. If you can go in person, that's even better. But and then the content kind of cements your reputation out there as far as what you know. But it also is a terrific way to connect with people. Right. I mean, I invite people on the shows that I want to meet and people are way more open to that than they are to hi, do you want to talk for five minutes on Zoom? And so that works out really, really well. Um, So my optimal flow these days, a lot of it comes out of the podcasts. I am trying to revive the local Ruby meetup here in Utah. It's kind of been tough to get people to show up. There are a lot of people on the meetup group on meetup. And so I'm just kind of working with people who have the keys to the kingdom there and then trying to organize events. And we probably have a half dozen or so people show up. But it's it just takes work and consistency in, in a lot of cases there, right? And then figuring out where and when you can actually get together with people. So yeah, and, and in a lot of cases, there are places like at universities or businesses or things like that where you can organize a lot of this stuff, right? So my other, yeah, that's part of my optimal flow is just going to a meetup every month and just trying to make that work. Just, just connecting it, right? And the nice thing about being, you know, an organizer or somebody that's kind of high up on the food chain with those is that everybody gets to know who you are, right? And so that way I have an opening. If I want to go meet somebody or talk to somebody, I have an opening, right? Because I walk up, I say hi, and they say, hey, this was great right? This is a great meetup. And then we can start talking. And so, you know, it really does open the gates and it doesn't have to be anything specifically special, right? You just get a couple people to share a couple of kind of mini talks and then you, you know, let people mingle and it works out really well. So yeah, so going to the meetup every month, having people on the podcast so that I can talk to them. Sometimes I'll find a topic that I want and then I'll go find somebody to come talk to us about it. And then, yeah, I'm consistently, I'm either reading. So right now our book club book is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. We're going to do seven languages, seven weeks. And Bruce Tate's actually going to come to some of those. He's the author of the book, if you didn't connect those dots. And so we're going to be talking about his book. We're going to do it over eight weeks so we can kind of do a kickoff and then seven languages in seven weeks. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'm always writing code on something, whether it's for some I'm getting paid to work on or for top end devs. Right. And so those are all those are all part of my process. Right. So I'll pick up an idea or a library or something and I'll I'll incorporate it into one of my side projects. But yeah, you know, it all kind of works together that way. And so it it's not like it's, hey, well, I'm reading the I'm reading books is my ultimate flow. You know, I'll go watch videos or whatever and then I'll add it to whatever I'm doing. I do this with the podcasting too, by the way. So I listen to other podcasts about podcasts. I have picked up a couple of books. And I've been doing this for almost as long as I've been programming. 
So it's, you know, it's been like 15, 16 years and I'm still constantly looking to learn and, you know, make connections and go to the conferences and things like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's all part of that work. You know, I reach out to conferences and see if they want me to come and do podcast interviews at the conference. And, you know, so I'm going to one in, in January or in June. So, you know, I'm curious about that one. How how does that actually work? Because, you know, I'm already in the podcasting scene because of you, um, besides this podcast, right? And it's funny because uh, I had a podcast guest who was doing a conference and they asked me to come. I've never Mm -hmm. actually thought to reach out to them and actually ask to come on that part. Do you mind to talk about that for a second? Because I'm sure there's other podcasters out there who are listening. So the way that that's gone down, so I'm going to be going to JS Nation and React Summit in June. It actually starts on May 31st, but it's that first week in June. It's in Amsterdam. They're paying for my airfare and hotel and giving me a ticket to the conferences. And what we're doing is we're doing a couple of interviews leading into the conference, right, to kind of promote it. You know, hey, I'm going to be at the conference. I'm talking to this speaker from the conference, right? Hey, you want to tell us in 20 minutes what you're talking about at the conference? And then, you know, do some interviews at the conference. But yeah, I just sent him an email and said, hey, I host JavaScript Jabber. We get so many downloads per episode. I'd love to come out and do some podcast interviews at your conference. Now, I already have a track record with this, right? So I've also told them, you know, I've been to several of the Microsoft conferences where they arranged for me to talk to people who work for Microsoft. I did this at a Swamp Up event with JFrog about their DevOps stuff. And here are some examples of what we did. But I mean, people are pretty open. So if you if even if you don't have that kind of background where you can say, hey, I've done this at, a you know, a dozen or so other conferences, you can still get away with a lot just by I mean, you could point to what I've done, right? If it's in a space that I'm not in and just say, hey, you know, I talked to Chuck. He does this stuff. It looks pretty cool. Here's some examples of what he's done. I'd probably do something pretty similar. Right. And yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of see how it goes. But yeah, that that's basically the outreach. And then it took them a little while to get back to me because the person I'm reaching out to works for Git Nation, which is the company that puts on these conferences. She had to go run it up the chain and get a OKs. And so there were like three weeks where I didn't even think that they were going to get back to me. And then, yeah. you know, they finally did. Microsoft was different because I already knew Rich, Richard Campbell from .NET Rocks podcast. He also does Run As Radio, which is another podcast. Both of those are in the Microsoft space. And anyway, he reached out because they were putting together podcasts, podcasting at Microsoft. What was it? Microsoft Build. And so we, we went to that one. And then, yeah, a bunch of after that, it was Microsoft Build and the Microsoft Ignite, and some of their big corporate events. We did a couple of interviews with some of those. And yeah, anyway, so that's kind of what gave me the idea in the first place. Yeah, because like I said, I got invited and I was, I was quite surprised because I never really thought about doing that. And of course, that's great advertising mm-hmm. for them because it's like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. I didn't know about this podcast. I didn't know about this event. Right. And yeah. also it's a great place to catch these guys. <laughs> sitting down somewhere because sometimes they're really hard to get a hold of. They get yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And doing the stuff in person is much better than doing it remotely, which is what we've been doing for the last couple of years. Yeah. But bringing all that gear with you is painful now. It's not bad. So I have a Zoom H6 and then I have a bunch of Shure SM58 microphones. And so it fits in the bottom of a backpack, everything I need. The Shure SM58, you can run off a of battery. I have a plug for it. And and that's just a tiny power supply. So, I mean, the whole thing really doesn't take up that much space. Okay. Yeah, I, I brought my uh, Rodecaster Pro 2 with me to UK. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big beefy machine, but it's because uh, I bought, have a bunch of XLR mics. You know, because mm-hmm. of you, you know, I blame you, Chuck. I bought a lot <laughs> of crazy stuff 
but at least yeah. my audio sounds great. So that's that's the good thing. Yep. Yeah. The Zoom Zoom H6 has four or six. It'll expand to six XLR plugs on it, and their plugs are kind of cool because it'll also do the quarter inch and three point five millimeter plugs. You can plug any of those into their plugs. So. Yeah. yeah, it's not too bad. Anyway, that went faster than I thought. Is there you guys have any other questions about any of this stuff or anything else you want to talk to me about? I mean, I'm happy to I think, go into I think whatever. I have this kind of question, right? Like, let's say that you want to get a hold of somebody. You want to meet a specific person, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be, uh, I mean, I'll just be direct. You don't want to be a creeper, right? Kind of try to stalk them down and try to find their contact information. You know, how, how can you do something like that? Because there may be something that's somebody who's like very specific <laughs> in your field that you want to kind of get a hold of. Like you see yourself as, okay, he came from a similar background as me. He's doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I want to know his path. How can I meet this guy? How can I get in contact with them? Or even like, not even just how to get in contact with them. How can I approach them? It's probably maybe a better way to do it. Right. So, I mean, when we're looking for podcast guests, we go the creeper out, right? We find, we go find their email address. And some people are open to that and some people really aren't, right? Now, if I'm coming to them and saying, hey, do you want to come on this podcast and talk to a couple thousand people? They're okay with the creeper mode, right? It's like, oh, you found my email address. Good for you. Yes, I'd like to come, right? If if I'm creeper moding and then saying, hey, can you talk to me for 20 minutes on a Zoom call? Not Not so much, right? If they're local, sometimes that's easier to do because then you can at least invite them to meet for lunch or something, right? So they, it's time they might take anyway. And so people are more open to that. But without the creeper, what I try and do is I try and just pop up on their radar periodically. And so what I'll do is I'll actually go kind of stalk them on social media, right? Because to the to the extent that you follow them on social media, right, that's pretty passive, right? They, they don't even know you're there. And so you can kind of get a feel for, okay, what are they interested in? What are they working on? What are they talking to people about? What are they speaking at conferences about? What are the books about? All of those things. And then from there, then what you can do is you can actually start sharing their content, right? And so, because Twitter will let you know if somebody retweets your tweet or quotes your tweet, you know, that it'll show up in your notifications. If you reply to one of their tweets, you know, your name will pop up on their on their radar. If you reply to something on LinkedIn where they're not getting a thousand replies to their tweet, you're more likely to be noticed, right? And not necessarily that they're going to reach out to you at that point and say, hey, I want to connect, but your name will have showed up, right? And it'll show up in a few other places. And so maybe you submit a PR to one of their GitHub repos, right? So you do these kinds of things where it's not it's not kind of an in your face, I'm trying to get your attention, you're, you're adding value to their ecosystem. And then from there, the trick is, is, yeah, eventually, then you send them a message over whatever, or you pull their email address off of GitHub, which is usually where we find people's email addresses, I'll just admit straight up. All right, you send them an email and you say, hey, I got your email address off of GitHub. I've been following a lot of the stuff that you're putting out on social media. I even submitted a couple of PRs to your Git repos. And I think you're awesome. And I'd love to just get to know you a little bit. Can I do you have 10 minutes to talk to me? And at that point, it's not an ask out of the blue. It's a, hey, look, I've added all this value because I admire you. And I'd like to, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And because then it's not creepy, it's not weird, it's not some stranger coming and saying, "Hey, I tracked down your contact info." And these days, getting somebody's contact info off the internet is not terribly hard. But I mean, I haven't really tried to find physical addresses, so I don't know how hard those are to get. But like a phone number or email address is not hard. So anyway, so that's kind of the approach that I would take. And then yeah, just make it real easy. Hey, I'm free at this time, this time, and this time, and here's my phone number right? Or 
hey, you know, I've, I've reached out to a few other people and I set up this Calendly thing so that it's easy to set an appointment or whatever. And so you, you just make, keep it really low key. Don't don't put a whole lot of high stakes on it. But yeah, if you keep showing up for them, eventually they're going to be willing to show up for you. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Like softly kind of get underneath their radar so that they've seen your name quite a few times. I think that's, that's yeah. a good point. And also, uh, if you know people who know them, of course, I think that makes it easier, mm-hmm. especially if they can give an introduction. Yep. I think no matter well, how you look at this, all these individual steps all sound kind of creepy if you step back and take a look at them. There's no kind of easy way to well, the, the, somebody's life. The way that people look at it as creepy is that, like, if you organically, in the same way, built a relationship with somebody, they would not think it's creepy because your ultimate goal was not to meet this person, right? And so you're you're deliberately doing things to get noticed. But I mean, the thing is, is that I think the motives matter even more than just, you know, I want to meet them, right? So some people, I mean, it's, I want to meet them so I can pitch them my terrific idea and they're going to love me, right? That's getting way into the creepy realm, right? If it's just a, hey, look, you know, I'd like to make contact. I feel like I have something to offer them or it'd be great to just talk to them for 10 minutes or whatever. I don't think that's quite so creepy, right? I'd like to have them on my podcast or I'd like to get them on my YouTube channel or I'd like to interview them for 10 minutes so I can write a blog post about it or something like that, right? That's a whole lot less creepy just because at the end of the day, right, you're you're building a relationship and you're, you're offering them something. Yeah, doing it because you have uh, completely and utterly selfish motives where and you have you do you want something from them directly. And so you're doing it and you're going to be aggressive or disappointed if you don't get it. That's where that's where it becomes problematic. But yeah, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with going out of your way to try and get somebody's attention. If if you feel like you have something to offer them, just keep in mind, though, that, yeah, if you're coming to them and honestly, you 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 think that you have something that they need to do or change or whatever. I'm sorry, but that's going into creepy realm. Right. If, if you're coming to them and, and bringing them some other opportunity, that's a different thing. Right. And so because I've seen people do that, right, where they they want to be around somebody just because they're cool or famous or whatever. And it's weird. But I've also seen it where people come in and they really feel like they have something to offer and it works out. And so I, I think that's really what the difference is, is are you doing it as much for their benefit as yours or not? Well, I mean, if you like, if, it, if I give my example where I kind of wanted to know what is, what you know, what was their path? That sounds very mm-hmm. much a one-sided street, you know? What would yeah. I actually have to offer them? Yeah, but see, the thing is, is if you've already been adding value, right? So you've been sharing their stuff on social media, you put PRs in on the thing, right? You can have that organic conversation with them if you can get them on the phone at that point and just say, and you just let them know straight up, hey, I really admire you. I've, I've been contributing in these ways. Not that they owe you anything, but then you can say, hey, I was just curious about this part of your journey. Do you have 10 minutes to talk through it, right? And then they can tell you no. And then if you don't take no for an answer, that, that that's creepy, right? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Chuck, about adding value. But honestly, I feel like, I mean, especially if, if you're talking about Elixir community, I feel like uh-huh. people are very open to responding. People even. generally are. Yeah, uh, like I respond to, I get a good amount of emails every week, mm-hmm. I would say, about, uh, through podcast or whatever. I'm, I've been very open about like wanting mm-hmm. to help people out, right? And I think a lot of people in the Elixir community right. are like that. There are some emails that people send me very inconsiderate, just like copy and paste their code or like link to the repo. Right. Can you review this? I'm, I 
that's a little obviously inconsiderate. I'm not going to review 2,000 lines of work right. for you, right? But like, if it's like a quick email, if people are very concerned about like not writing three or four paragraphs, a quick email, and mm-hmm. generally they're padding, hey, nice to meet you, really appreciate your time reading the email, and end it by saying, it's totally fine, I understand you're busy, if you, if you don't mm-hmm. have time for that, that's totally fine. I think even a stranger would respond to, obviously, like, you know, as you go in like different communities, if you like message, I don't know, some crazy engineer mm-hmm who gets like thousands of emails a week, you won't get a response. Right. But the Elixir community isn't quite there yet. So I'm not sure who you want to get in touch with, Alan. <laughs> if they're like crazy famous, yeah, you might want to chuck Shroud as better, definitely get, you know, yeah. showing up yeah. more often. But if they're not like, you know, I mean, Joseph only responds to my emails, basically. Like he's, he's responded to a couple couple of my emails. Yeah. I think before he even, he knew who I was. So, I mean, if Joseph's responding, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming most of the Elixir community is good. <laughs> I think you're generally right. Yeah, it doesn't have to be just the Elixir community. I'm just thinking like in general. I mean, there's always YouTubers or people you think are doing really interesting things. And, you know, even people at Microsoft who are doing some like, you know, the AI stuff happening. Right. You may want to reach out to some of these guys and just want to know more about whatever it is that they're working on, etc. I mean, it's it's really an open thing. It's not really just about Elixir people in general. That, yeah. I mean, in most tech communities that, like, that are smaller, I think they're really easy to get to. Gotcha. If you think about JavaScript, like some of the more famous people in React JavaScript land, I think, are much more... Yeah, they get hit all the popular. time. Yeah, so you know, how do you reach through that kind of... There's a lot yeah. more gates you have to get through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... And even those folks, right? I mean, I've talked to a, quite a number of them. I mean, even those folks that are really, really well-known in the larger communities, you're not doing any of this stuff because they don't want to get back to you. You're doing it so that when your email pops up in their inbox, they go, they recognize your name and go, oh, I think I know this person, right? Or do I know this? How do I know this person? And so they'll open it, right? But yeah, most people or are very see, open to helping your name people. And say, oh God, not this guy again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you don't want to go that far. But usually you get to that point by saying, hey, can you do this for me? 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 Hey, you're doing this wrong. And so at that point, they just feel like they're being hounded by you instead of, oh, uh, where have I seen this name before, right? And so they go look and it's they, they see the, the email notifications from GitHub and from Twitter and they're like, they're like, oh, okay, this guy's been, he's been following my stuff and, and responding to my stuff. I'll talk to him for 10 minutes, you know, or I'll, I'll, I'll open the email and see what he wants right? Because they have a favorable feel for who you are, right? As opposed to the person where the email just comes in cold and they don't have any frame of reference whatsoever. They're just going to skim by. And so you want to give them that pattern interrupt where it's like, oh, I think I know this person. Because I do that on my email sometimes, right? It's like, I'm in a hurry. I want to make sure there's nothing important in my inbox, right? And so I'll open it up and then I'll be like, okay, this one, this one looks important. And it looks important because there's something about it that's familiar, right? either in the subject line or the the person who sent it, you know, where I'm going, oh, this is some somebody or something I need to respond to. And so I'll open it. And yeah, so if you can get people on that level to open your email and, you know, respond to you that way. But yeah, I mean, the Ruby community has been that way for a long time. The Elixir community has been that way for a long time. Some of the some of the community communities within the JavaScript community are that way. I've emailed some people that I thought were huge names in the programming space, right? They're kind of above the language communities, you know, something in like uh, Bob Martin or Kent Beck or somebody. And Kent Beck's a bad example because I met him through somebody else. But Bob Martin or, you know, Martin Fowler or some of these other guys, right, who have written books that kind of transcend the communities. And even they have gotten back to me without really knowing who I was, right? And so 
that there a lot of them are really open to helping people and and that really was a good point to bring up but yeah some of them get so much stuff that yeah you, you kind of have to break through the barrier and get their attention first I think John Samez ended up sending uh, some meats and cheeses to Bob Martin or something to get a, uh, <laughs> yeah. an acknowledgement in his book, if you remember that. Yeah, he he did that. So he found out that he was trying to get Bob to write the foreword to his book and figured out that Bob's birthday was like the next weekend. And so, yeah, he, he sent it over and he'd emailed Bob like three or four times and Bob's a busy guy. And so um, sent him that stuff. And so Bob had a look at it. And from what I understand, it was still kind of serendipitous because Bob was still going to tell him no because he didn't have time. And then he wound up on an airplane and happened to have taken the manuscript on his computer. And so he, he, you know, he looked through it. So, yeah. So even a nice birthday gift may not guarantee a reply or guarantee. Yeah, because people, people have lives and they're busy. Right. And so, yeah, if, if you're, if it doesn't go the way you want, I mean, it's okay to be disappointed, but yeah. It's not unreasonable for somebody to just not be able to do it. Yeah, and that's a good question. I mean, Adi, you get you said you get contacted quite a lot. Have you ever had to uh, deny some of these requests or, or? I mean, I haven't had like a creepy kind of a contact yet. I think luckily it's like pretty good. <laughs> but I think I would say like about twenty percent of emails I get are. I think there's uh, a few. I don't want to. There's a few in particular that I even remember the names. I, I think they, it's very you know out out there. Like, hey, do this for me, and it's a pretty huge favor. It'll take like a few hours of mm-hmm. my time, and it just I just don't have that time, and I also don't appreciate that it's very it it feels very entitled. At least I think there might be a language barrier. I'm, I, mm-hmm. and for some people, I can understand that, but I think it's just hard to psychologically you know cross that bridge to spend two or three hours of, for, for a person you don't know who hasn't presented their case really well for you right. to help them you know so like like i literally someone asked me to review their uh, production apps pull request oh, it's wow. pretty complicated background mm-hmm. job stuff and we actually had a, a few weeks ago we had a talk about oban right so it was actually a follow-up of that and yeah i'm very open about people people reaching out to me and i'll help but uh, and i mentor people actively too but there is like there are pretty strong limits to my time (laughs) so yeah yeah one thing that i found there too though is that a lot of times especially if they're newer or just haven't made that kind of request or they haven't done that kind of a review before they don't realize they're asking for two or three hours right they think that oh adi is an expert i heard him on the podcast he he can look at it in five minutes and yeah, so sometimes my reply is, I don't know if you realize this, but what you're asking me to do is going to take three hours that I don't have, you know? And so I wish I could, but I can't. And yeah, because I've gotten those. And it's like, sometimes I'll uh, I'll refer them to like uh, Mentor Cruise or Code Mentor or something and say, hey, if you have the money, you know, you can probably hire somebody to walk through the code with you. Yeah, that's it's nice to hear the opposite side because usually a lot of uh, I think a lot of the listeners at home are probably on the side where they would like to have some some help or whatever, and they're not on the side where they're actually getting requested for help. So it's good to hear the other side. Yeah, well, and it's easy to be kind to people even if you're telling them no. So totally, I guess this kind of like branched off of like meeting people and the company that you keep, right? So I'm gonna like go on a different side. Like it's, so I, I totally agree. It's very important to like you know surround yourself with like excellent people. Mm-hmm meet more people so you know excellence induces really fast but what induces faster is laziness and one thing i really try to do and it it sounds so bad is like cut out people who are negatively you know impacting i mean Mm -hmm. 
sometimes just my career, even if my personal life is not significantly negatively impacted by that, but that's because my my professional and personal life, it's like to, so tight together right now. And if someone's like really negatively influencing me and if I have evaluated that, oh, this person is doing that, I don't like cut them out completely, but I decrease my interaction. And I know it's a little bit of, of a controversial subject. I would love to get your thoughts on that, Chuck. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> I don't think it's controversial. I mean, to a certain degree, I actively go and try and find people who are moving the same direction in the same kinds of things that I am, right? And that way, you know, if they encounter something that I haven't, then they have better ideas, right? That this is this is another just benefit of meeting new people, right? Is that they they may have some perspective on something or over the course of however long, right? Because you keep running into them or you keep meeting up with them. They may have some perspective on something that you just wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. And so just to give an example, you know, so top end devs, what we're looking at doing is I'm going to start putting together online meetups and I'm going to be start starting to put together. And, and this was an idea that came out of one of the guys in the book club. Right. We were talking and he's like, he's like, hey, I bet you could get more people to sign up if you were putting on the meetups. And that's something that I wanted to do anyway. And so, you know, yeah, great. But the other thing is, is I put together kind of a tiny mastermind group with two other guys who are building courses. Right. And trying to sell courses, because that's another thing that we're trying to put out. I'm looking to more put out something kind of kind of like what Railscast used to be, where you get videos every week. Right. So that learning something new every day, it's like, hey, come. We got two of your days covered. Right. But uh, yeah, so just talking to them, right, and filling my time with those people, what I find is that the negative people, I, I tend to not have to deliberately cut them out. I just fill my time with other stuff. Occasionally, somebody will continue to push their way in. Usually, that's in my personal life and not in my work life. And so I can just kind of, I can work through that. But yeah, if it's not helping you get where you want to go, then yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I get that. So yeah, sometimes relationships are hard. Sometimes families are hard. Sometimes people are hard. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I go to church every week and there are people at church that sometimes get under my skin, but I, you know, I still go to church because I believe it. Right. And so, you know, there are going to be some things that you just have to do and you kind of have to to figure out the best way to deal with it, right? You can't always cut them out. But yeah, to the extent that you can um, surround yourself with people that give you momentum, that that is so powerful, right? And then if there are people that sap your momentum, then yeah, find ways to contain that so that you can be, be where and what and who you want to be. Yeah, totally, totally. And also I think on top of it, the people who are giving you momentum, I think also like, and it's a tough one. I think creating a culture around those people who you professionally engage with, where mm -hmm. they can give you feedback, right? Like, yeah, where you don't have to think about what you can do better. That's the master. Others do it for principle. you. Yeah, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can give you an example of that. So last week, no, it wasn't even last week. It was two days ago. Boy, it's been a long week. So Tuesday is when we meet me and these two other guys. And Anyway, so we got on our call. Uh, one of them couldn't make it because he had something going on with his daughter. And so the other guy gets on and we start talking. And, you know, I was talking about, I'm trying to do this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, I had like tens, zillion things I was trying to do. And I'm, I'm trying to put this together, you know. And so what we've been talking about with, you know, hey, how do I get unstuck? How do I maintain momentum or build momentum in my career? It's like, well, it seems like the way I would explain this to a junior developer is different from the way I would explain it to a senior developer, right? And we kind of talked about that at the beginning of the show. I was like, so I want to put content out there for the juniors, and I also want to put content out there for the seniors, right? Which makes sense. And so he just looks at me and he's like, he says, well, who's coming to you for help, right? And, you know, 
I know these answers, right? And it's funny because I've actually coached other people and giving them, given them these answers, right? And I'm like, well, it's it's, just, it's like 90% the junior developers, right? Are, are looking for an answer to this problem. And and so then he starts asking more and more questions. He's like, he's like, well, then why don't you just focus on the people you can really help, right? The people who more frequently have this problem and give them a product that solves the problem that is something that they can and will willingly pay that amount for instead of trying to create all of these levels of things so that you can, you know, capture more whatever from the senior developers. And I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense, right? And it's not that the content won't work for senior developers. And it's not even that I'm going to be deliberately gearing, not gearing it toward the senior developers. But if I speak to the issues that the junior developers have, and I can build trust with them, then I can help more people, right? Is ultimately what it boils down to. And so, but but this was all insight that he gave me as we were talking for an hour, right? And it's interesting because his, his uh, niche is the people who are transitioning into becoming programmers in the first place. So he's hitting people like brand new baby developers, right? Who don't even have their first job. So I'm hitting people who have been in their first or second job for a year or so and are kind of going, I don't know how to make this move from here. And so, you know, and so just, just narrowing that focus, right? It was like, oh, that simplifies what I talk about on the podcast. It simplifies what I'm, you know, putting out in the newsletter. It simplifies, you know, what I what I talk to people about when I get on a call with them, right? And I'm totally willing to help the senior developers and I'm going to help them in a lot of the same ways, but that's not going to be my primary focus because then I can put that message out there and say, hey, look, I understand you. I understand where you're at. I understand where you're going. I understand what your frustrations are. And so I, I can solve those issues, right? And so it's more of a marketing thing that I'm talking about, but you know, just having those people in that group, right? The the meetups in a lot of ways have, have served that for in the tech space where, you know, I'm struggling with something or trying to figure out how to do something and I'll I'll show up to the meetup and, you know, they'll have talks about stuff that has nothing to do with this stuff. And then afterward, I'll go and I'll talk to somebody who I think might have the answer and I'll get this same kind of feedback. And so and it's like, hey, I use, we use this library and we solved this problem with this, right? And it's like, okay, well, my my situation's unique in this way. Oh, well, it has a plugin that does that. Or, oh, well, then you need this other library that, you know, does it different. And so, yeah, a, a lot of that just comes out of having those groups. But it's the mastermind principle, if you've read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. He talks about how, and it's funny because that's the principle that people pull out of it, but there's so much more in that book. But but that's the idea, right? So our minds together will come up with a better solution than mine will on its own. And so that that goes back to meeting somebody new every week because in a lot of cases, that's that that's what's going to happen, right? So you you build it up and next time you'll be the person that somebody comes to, right? Or you'll be the person that the person that helped you refer somebody to, right? Or something like that. So anyway, it it, it really does make a difference. And so, yeah, just surrounding yourself by the people who are going to go, not not just tell you, not just be the positive influence, hey, what you're doing makes sense and you're doing a good job, but are also going to go, hey, look, this is where your pain is, right? You're, you're telling me about the pain and you've got this thing that's causing you the pain. And so, you know, let me let me point it out, right? Oh, that's unpleasant. You know, <laughs> you're telling me I did it wrong and that's why it hurts, right? But you need that too. Totally. I guess I'd like one more thing. And Alan, I think, mentioned this at the very beginning about like soft skills too. And mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of related to people, but like the more people interact with, the better you get at it. But how those st- soft skills of interacting with people and talking to people and like be getting being used to making friends helps you develop social equity at work. And that plays a huge effect mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're a liked person by the 
like management, you're a lot more likely, even if, even if say, two people are asking for the same opportunity, if someone is more liked, others will be more implicitly biased towards mm-hmm. that person and will find reasons to give that person the opportunity, even, I mean, subconsciously. <laughs> uh, right. Right? And, and I think that creating that, like developing that social skill talking to all these people mm-hmm. and can also help you come back to work and like win people over on your side and yep. make you be a, a likable person who people can feel yep. comfortable around and give you more opportunities and stuff. So yeah, there's a really good book about this. It's called the 360 degree leader by John Maxwell. And it's kind of, it's kind of geared toward middle management, but it, I think it's a terrific book for just about anybody. So what he talks about is, and it's leadership, right? It's not management. And so what he, what he puts forward is that in order for you to be a leader in your organization, you not only have to manage the people below you, but you have to manage up and you have to manage laterally. And so, and when it's la- when I say manage, what I mean is communicate. And so he talks about all of the ways that you can communicate and facilitate and take the lead on things with people who are above you in the organization, with people who work on the same level as you, right? So other team leads or other just other developers and then people who work for you work work under you, right? So if you are the the team lead, and even if you don't have anybody under you, right, the the principles still apply, right? Here's how I make sure I communicate to the people who are on kind of the same level as me, or who are stakeholders on other teams that that work on whatever I'm working on, right? That are all kind of lateral, you know, they're all kind of on the same level as you. And then here's how I communicate and manage my relationship with people who are above me, and that could be your boss, but it could also be the team leads on the other teams of the people that you have to deal with or people above your boss or people in other organizations that come in and are part of the the process. And so anyway, it's, it's a terrific book and it just talks about how to, because in so many cases, getting done what needs to get done. I mean, a lot of times we as programmers think that we can just sit down and just do it ourselves. But most of the time these days you can't. And so what you wind up needing to do then is you need to effectively lead the process or lead the people so that, you know, the right things are getting done at the right time in the right order. And I'm not talking project management. I'm just talking about making sure that all of the communication that has to happen does happen so the outcome can be achieved. And and that really is leadership. And so, you know, you may not be the person whose name is on the project. As, as kind of the person in charge of it, but you really can have a major impact in the way that you facilitate those kinds of things. And I would put forward that those people that can do that kind of work are infinitely more valuable than the people who just show up and stamp out code every day. This looks like a great book. I just bought it on Amazon. It looks awesome. It is so good. So good. We should do that one for a book club, maybe in like November <laughs> or something. I guess I took the lead on this one, so maybe I should uh, push us toward picks. Yep. Now, on the other shows, one thing that we added was we added a segment where people can do self-promo. So I'm, I'm going to do that real quick. We'll start with Alan. Alan, what are you working on that people should know about? And how do people hire you? Wow. What am I working on? Yeah, recently, I just finished up this uh, trading system for... Well, we're in the process of finishing it up. We're, we're, they basically want to ditch Bloomberg because it's super expensive. And uh, they're using this other vendor who's not very good. I don't want to name shame them, but they should be ashamed, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> They should be shamed also, but I'll try to be nice. Um, yeah, but anyways, it's pretty cool. We're actually building it on Flutter, and we have the backend written in Elixir because I think it's just the perfect backend mm-hmm. to use quick. We have error tolerance, which, of course, we need to have with this vendor. So it works out quite nicely. And yeah, I mean, it basically takes all the boxes, which is what they want. Fast, efficient, and uh, easy to uh, stand up. 
so yeah, I mean, if you're interested in kind of taking a look to see if Elixir or Flutter or anything else, even Rust, we're, we're probably going to add some Rust to it, make it a little bit faster. Go ahead and reach out to to, to me, free to at me, at Alan Wyma on Twitter, or look at my company, Plangora, plangora.com, P-L-A-N-G-O-R-A.com. Awesome. Do they have a name for that stack yet? Flutixer or something? I don't know. You know what? That I didn't. Thanks for putting it in my mind. Now I got to come up with something. So that's my Easter project now. <laughs> there you go. All right, Adi, what are you working on that people should know about? So my book that I've been working on for a little over two years, is finally done. It will be Ooh. out. Yeah, super exciting. Books are was, a ton of work. Yeah, you told me that the uh, first episode I was here and you were like, oh, it's going to be hell. You were not lying. It was crazy, especially working in the in a startup for you know mm-hmm. a year and a half while writing the book. But yeah, the publishers I worked with were awesome. They were super supportive. They let me build an app to write the book in, which is just awesome because I wanted all the code snippets to be tested um, mm-hmm. with all the Elixir version and stuff. So uh, they allowed me to write that before writing the book. But oh, uh, nice. th- yeah, the official publication date is May 9th, but I think the pre-order should become order in a couple of weeks on Amazon. I'll post the link in the show notes. Awesome. What's the title of the book? All right, my bad. It's called Build Your Own Web Framework in Elixir. It basically teaches you how to build Phoenix, how to build mm-hmm. uh, a small version of Cowboy, plugs, all that, and then wrap them into like a meta programming interface. So it will feel a lot easier for you to dig into Phoenix's code base. You know, and that, that was the whole kind of theme with this. Like Chucky was saying, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. feel stagnant, that early senior engineers, you know, this kind of uh, a book that shows them how the magic around Phoenix works will help them bridge mm-hmm. that gap from early senior to late senior. Right. Awesome. So for me, what I'm working on, I am actually working pretty heavily to just update uh, top end devs. My contract kind of took over my life for a year and a half. So yeah, I've had a few weeks to kind of uh, get back on it. Um, You'll also see I have a green screen behind me if you're watching the video. And if not, I have a green screen behind me. And I have some equipment coming that will just manage what shows up on the green screen. But I'm going to be doing uh, quite a bit of... uh, content creation within top end dev so if you want to sign up for a membership you'll get access to the book club and then you'll also get access to the series that we're putting out i'm planning on putting out a series on tooling so you know we'll get into like git vs code and whatever else i'm also putting out a series on probably ruby and rails just because i can probably do that one in my sleep and then i'm going to be doing one on game dev and as far as meetups go if you've been interested in writing a game and i guess this will be kind of the big thing that i plug is so my 17 year old wants to be a game dev when he grows up and so yeah so i was like hey i'll I'll learn how to build video games with unity and my friend jason actually has a course on how to build video games in unity and he's had hundreds and hundreds of people take it and so i talked to him about it and i was like you know it'd be fun to have kind of a meetup about this where people who are going through the course with me could could join in so if you're interested in building games in unity go to topendevs.com slash game dev that'll take you to a link to his course and so then if you buy the course use the code javascript5 that was the code he gave me yeah we're not on a javascript show but whatever that'll get you 20 percent off and then if you buy the course then you can just come to the meetups and we'll just talk about it. The meetups will be free. And so, yeah, just let me know you bought the course and I'll tell you how to access them. I'm going to start them next week as we speak. But yeah, it's going to be me and my 17-year-old and whoever else shows up. And yeah, it'll be fun. So that's another area I'm getting into. And then I also want to start a series on machine learning and a couple of other kind of up-and-coming areas where I feel like people who are trying to find the next stage of their career, it may not be in the technology you're working in, or it may be by pulling in some of these up-and-coming technologies into technologies that you're working in. 
And so I'm, I'm looking to facilitate a lot of that. If you want to do a course or a series with us, I'd love to hear from you on that too. So anyway. All right, picks. Alan, what are your picks? Yeah, so I just have one pick. I just finished a, a video game that I went crazy about. Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Have you guys played that one? Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. Yeah, I've, I've been watching videos about it on YouTube. It finally came out on Steam. I bought it, completed it in just a couple of days. Super awesome story. Uh, looks great. Yeah, I love it. So if you guys are interested in good story and Call of Duty, I'd highly recommend that game. Nice. How about you, Adi? I got a couple picks today. One is, uh, since we talked about the books, one book that really helped me is called Detox Your Ego. It's a very small one, or it'll take like five, six hours to read. But I think what I noticed was, you know, if, if you have a lot, people have a lot of hobbies and tend to be kind of good at a lot of things, they are more susceptible to that Dunning-Kruger's effect, like thinking that something is easier and hence more susceptible to developing an ego. Because, you know, you're good at, you have a lot of hobbies, you generally feel like you can, you get a lot of things, right? But I think this book specifically pointed a few, <clears throat> gave, a, gave a few perspectives that really helped me manage that Dunning-Kruger's effect. I think I'm very susceptible to that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it, it actually even allowed me to see that I am, which I wasn't aware about myself. So it made a huge difference in my life. So highly recommended this book. My video game pick is uh, Sekiro. I just thought I'll replay it. It's been a while since it came out. And I finished that game, I think last time I played it was 2018. And I finished without dying even once. And mm-hmm. I realized today or, or last week that I've become a terrible video gamer. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I just kept dying. A game that I used to think was hard, but not super hard, I'm not able to play. So anyway, it's challenging for me. But it, it's actually also reminded me how good a game it was when it came out. Even today, it holds really well, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry, my like 2019 is when it came out. Yeah. But but either way, if you guys haven't tried it, it's, I think, available for like 20 bucks on PlayStation Plus. It used to be 50. So I would highly recommend that. Nice. So my game obsessions are a little bit more mundane. And I always pick a board game on on the shows that I'm on. So I'm going to pick a couple just because uh, they're fun. And I think uh, people, I don't know, if you're into board games, you'll benefit. The, uh, the first one I'm going to pick is kind of a heavy game as far as like gameplay and mechanics and stuff like that. It took me and my friends, I think both times we played, it took us like two and a half, three hours to play it. It's called Ark Nova. And effectively what you're doing is you're building a zoo. And then you, so you build zoo points. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but you get points for the, prestige of your zoo and then you on the other end you're you're building conservation projects and so you get conservation points going the other way on the board and when your two pieces meet in the middle of the board as soon as somebody does that the game's over and then you tally up any other extra points that you have from whatever and then whatever the distance is between your two pieces that's your score and so whoever has the widest spread on their pieces after they've crossed is is the winner. And so if you're the first person to meet, uh, you have a better chance of winning because, you know, you're anyway, you're you're connecting, you know, you get further around. But that doesn't mean you win. And it's fun. The art on the cards and the, the board are awesome. The game mechanics, we had to play it like twice before we figured out what we were playing wrong on it. But it was still fun even when we got some of the game mechanics not quite right. And like I said, it's kind of a hefty game. Uh, Board Game Geek ranks it. So it's one to four players. I think we played it with three and four, and that was fun. Board Game Geek ranks it at a 3.72 out of five. Just to give you a little bit of context, kind of the casual games that are just a little bit complex, right? Kind of the adult level games. Those are like a two. 
Okay. And this one's almost a four. So it's pretty involved, but way, way fun, way, way fun. So I'm going to pick Arc Nova. And then the other one I'm going to pick is Dice Forge. And we have one of the expansions for Dice Forge. And so we've played with that one as well. And the the thing is, is with Dice Forge is you can actually swap the faces on the dice. So you, you have two dice that you roll, and then you can buy different dice faces and you swap off faces on your dice and then you roll them to get more there are three different kinds of currency there's gold and then there are two others and then yeah you're buying cards the cards allow you to do different things or and they also count for points and so you're basically building that up as you go uh the expansions add some other features to it but yeah it's anyway it's a fun game you play it about an hour it's a two to four player game and yeah it's simple enough to where my kids could play it uh this one's uh, got a board game weight of 1.96 out of five Right. So if you're a casual gamer that kind of like, you know, it's like, hey, I have to read the manual once and kind of pick up the game and then I can play it over and over and over with my family. That's this game. And it's really fun. So anyway, I'm going to pick both of those. And then, yeah, uh, I'm just going to also just shout out again about seven languages in seven weeks. And so you'll probably hear a bonus episode from Bruce next week or the week after because I'm interviewing him as a, a preview for the book club. So anyway. Yeah, I want to plus one that book, man. That's that book is was the inflection point in my engineering career. I read that in a week, seven languages mm-hmm. in a week. Basically, it was and doing Haskell and Prologue, especially out of that, was amazing. Yeah, highly recommend that book. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I, I've talked to Bruce a bunch of times because he used to be a host on this show. And I thought that Elixir was going to be one of the languages, but it's not. Erlang is, but Elixir isn't. I think Seven More has Elixir. Seven More Languages in Seven Weeks that has Elixir. Oh, interesting. I didn't know there was a Seven More Languages oh, yeah, in Seven yeah. Weeks. Cool. All right. Well, that's all I've got. So uh, I'll go ahead and wrap us up. Till next time, folks. Max out. <laughs>